0: I need to repeat all that. 973 in your Pew Bibles. Still not on? Is it on? Okay, the green light is on. You can't hear me? Okay. Up here? Does that work? Better up there? Okay. Well, I'll uh, try to talk loud. But since we're going to cover chapter ten in Hebrews, that's a whole lot of information, and that reminded me about a uh, situation in college football that a friend of mine talked to me about while we were down in Tahlequah. It seems that the uh, university in by the way, anybody here from the University of Nebraska? You are. Okay, you got to hold your ears. Sorry about that. But it seems that the football recruiting program was going out and recruiting lots of big, strong competent football players, but they weren't so worried about the academics. So, of course, the grade point of the football players was going down drastically, and the academic dean called a great meeting with all the football coaching staff and talked about this need to emphasize academics in the sports program. So uh, they did that. They had quite a long meeting, in fact, a series of meetings. And finally, the uh, coach uh, called the team together and said, okay, guys, uh, the academics – has to improve, and so we've decided that we're going to emphasize academics in our football squad. So we got these brand new helmets now, and just so that we can remember, we put a big N on the side of them for knowledge. So, so. the uh, I hope you weren't a football, a Nebraska football fan. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, the, We'll look at the four F's of the New Covenant, which is Hebrews 10. And this is really prompted by a question that my uh, one of my sons asked me while we were visiting him. Uh, he's recently divorced, a uh, good-looking guy. And he asked me, what does the New Testament, or what does God say, more specifically, about having sex outside of marriage? I thought, wow, I thought I covered that somewhere in the last 33 years. But... Uh, that was a real question by one of my sons. And so uh, I suggested that he read Hebrews 10 at the end of about a three-hour lecture. But uh, the uh, Hebrews 10, I think, addresses that because at the end of Hebrews 10, and then we'll see the four Fs, next slide, uh, is faithful reminder. That's really the emphasis of this message. But in order to make that faithful reminder more impacting I think God includes the first portion of Hebrews 10 so we got to cover that too but the point being that we need to live faithfully as believers in Jesus Christ and that's what I want my son to do obviously but uh, we're going to look at the beginning points of faith a final sacrifice faithful fellowship a fearsome forecast and then finally the encouragement for living faithfully a faithful reminder Uh, this morning before we go any further though Would you join me as we look to the author in a word of prayer? Father, we do come before you and thank you for the fact that we can come boldly. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and that by trusting him as our Savior, we can approach you and ask you for mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And Lord, this morning I have a need. I pray that you'll guard my tongue, give me words to say and coherent message that your people may grow closer to you and walk more faithfully with you pray that you'll bless us this morning use your spirit to sanctify us and allow us all that's said and done to be done to your glory for we ask it in jesus name amen okay the next slide is going to be the message summary which is god the father provided for the believers immediate access emphasis on immediate access to him through jesus christ he strongly warns against ongoing sin And then encourages faithful living. That's what I wanted to encourage my son with, faithful living. That's what I'd like to encourage you with. I hope God will encourage us all to live faithfully for him. So now if you want to flick back to the previous side, the outline, I'd like to read Hebrews chapter 10 to you. And if you have that in your pew Bible, like I said, page 973, you could follow along. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would not have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made then he said here i am i have come to do your will he sets aside the first to establish the second and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of jesus christ once for all day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Excuse me. Ah. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received a light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. May God add his blessing to his word. This is a very serious passage. And like I tried to emphasize to my son, God is telling us to live faithfully. He wants us to live a life that brings glory to his name by obeying him and not doing those things that detract from that glory. (coughs) The first thing we're going to see are the first uh, 18 verses, which I've called the final sacrifice on the next slide. And uh, the other slide the first part of that or the first four verses which is referring to the Mosaic law or the old covenant now we're covering this in Sunday school class so this kind of fell in naturally with that but the law was only temporary and it did not remove sin in fact what it did do was generated guilt about the sin that people were practicing now we looked at the Old Covenant in depth in the Sunday School class, and it's extremely detailed. I mean, it was really a difficult thing to perform and live faithfully in the Old Testament because your faith was expressed by your obedience to the law. And there was uh, somewhere over a thousand different uh, details of law that you needed to obey. There were many sacrifices, three annual trips to Jerusalem where you had to go and offer uh your perfect lamb or goat or whatever your particular wage bracket dictated, but it was the best one. It was your uh, 401k that you were given to God and watching it be butchered and then burned outside the walls of Jerusalem. So it took a great deal of faith in the Old Testament to obey that. It It was not easy. It was difficult. And I think there is a very reasonable explanation for that. And that is that God wanted to emphasize the Serious nature of sin. That was why all these details were important. But then in the next series of verses, verses 5 through 18 on the next slide, that although the law could not remove sin, Jesus Christ can. And he, in fact, did come and replaced the law, as we see in verse 9. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. That's the first covenant with the second covenant, the old system with the new system. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of history. And since his death, burial, and resurrection, we are under a different rule of behavior, would be a way of saying it. He replaced the law, and the Father's will is that we are holy through christ verse 10 excuse me verse 10 and by the first uh, uh, and he sets aside the first to establish the second and by that will that is the will of god the father we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of jesus christ once for all that's a positional holiness the uh, theologians the people that write the books call that justification where we are set in holiness before God, so that when he looks at Herb Flinkman, he looks through the blood of Jesus Christ and sees a perfect person. I am far from perfect, but that's my position in the heavenlies. And that will that made us holy established the way to accomplish that holiness. It's through Jesus Christ. So as I'm sure you've heard many times before, it's only by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection that I am saved. I am born again. I become a new person in Christ because I trusted his death to pay my price for my sin, something that I can't do anything about. But it's through Christ that I'm holy. And that holiness is important to remember because we're going to see that again in verse 14 here where justification seems to be related directly with sanctification. Nice theological terms that uh, mean that our position with God seems to be related to our lifestyle and what we do. Look in verse 14. It says here that because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Seems to be a, a prep, I mean a participial relationship to the holiness. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, I'm not willing to pound the pulpit too hard on this because I'm not sure about other passages that would reflect on a permanence and a constant relationship. But it seems that if I'm not being holy, I need to really question my position for God. Hence, how are you living? What's going on in your life? Do you sin high-handedly? I hope not because we're going to get to a terrible prediction if you do, or if you are. But it seems that my holiness is part of my lifestyle or should be part of my lifestyle being made perfect forever those who are being made holy now that is going to be fleshed out in just a little bit in the next couple of verses here next couple of paragraphs but the holy spirit also testifies about this to us first he says this is the covenant i will make with them after that time says the lord i will put my laws in their hearts and i will write them on their minds that i think is a reflection of what we experience now in the new testament as the indwelling presence of the holy spirit that's our big ace in the hole over the old testament saints who were under the mosaic law they did not have the spirit of god convicting them they only had that old testament book that told them what to do they had the priest to say you're right you're wrong come sacrifice Uh, go uh, make this kind of uh, restitution we have the indwelling presence of the holy spirit And I think that's what's being referred to here at this point, where God has put his laws on our hearts. Maybe he hasn't written them in detail like he did on the stone tablets on Sinai, but I am convicted when I do wrong. I'm also convicted when I should do right. I'm experiencing that right at this moment. Yesterday I got a gift from a guy, a 350 Chevy V8 engine, and it was free. But I really feel bad. I think I should have given the guy some money for it, although he did not ask for it. I plan to call him back and offer him some money for that engine because I just feel like I should. I think that's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit telling me to do something that would save me a couple hundred dollars. I'm just struggling with that. So you might pray for me. Uh, But anyway, that indwelling presence is what we have. We don't need that old testament law anymore god gave us something better the presence of the third member of the trinity in our lives to guide us and direct us now an interesting contrast that we'll see in just the next paragraph here is it refers back to the guilt that the old testament law generated in the old testament believers but we are to have our consciences sprinkled to remove that guilt because we have the presence of the holy spirit and final forgiveness is in verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. In other words, God paid for all of my sin on the cross with Christ. His resurrection proved he was God, proved that it was an accomplished fact and paid for all my sin. Whether I choose to cheat on my income taxes this month, you know, the 15th is what, next week? If I choose to disobey in some other way god has already paid for that my sins are forgiven in christ but i am also convicted mightily that i need to declare my cash income <laughs> and that's hard because i can't get away with that this is always a very troublesome time in my life because it's so tempting not to say what i've made i'm sure you might struggle with that too but the point is that i'm convicted that i should do the right thing And if I do the wrong thing, it's rather agonizing because God nags me to death until I accomplish or repent and and do what I should do. But there's no longer any more sacrifice for sin. Christ paid it all on the cross for everything I'm going to do. And that's important because next he's going to call us on the next slide to faithful fellowship. And the first part of that faithful fellowship, verses 19 to 21, which I call the consequences of that forgiveness of God's plan. Because I am forgiven, because Jesus Christ tore the curtain and opened up access to God, I can come confidently to God the Father. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, He'll go on to give us five commands after that. We'll look at that in a minute. But because of that forgiveness, because of my positional holiness, my my justification, I mean, I have confident access to God. Now, the author of Hebrews has brought that up before. And if you've read Hebrews, you might remember that in chapter 4, verse 16 where he's talking about the fact that our high priest has been tempted in every way, just as we have been, and we'll actually read that in a little bit. But verse 16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I can come before God and say, God, please help me not cheat on my taxes. As stupid as that sounds, I can do that if I'm struggling with that, and God will give me the grace to write down the number that Sam's going to take, our government's going to take. I have confident access, and he's told me to come freely because I can get the mercy and the grace I need to help me in my time of need. What What is it you struggle with? Uh, there's so many things in our world that's tempting. Uh, we can go right before God and say, God, help me. Help me with what I need to help me be holy, to be sanctified, to live to your glory. And, of course, we have a competent advocate in Jesus Christ since we have a great priest over the house of God. And that's where I'm going to read 415 because 415 tells us that... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus Christ is not just some holier-than-thou God that's telling us to do something that he has never tried to accomplish. Jesus Christ in his physical body was tempted just like we are, and he did it without sin. So he is our example. He knows what I'm suffering. He knows what it means to pay taxes to a government that... You disagree with so i can go to him confidently and say help me and he will give me the grace and the mercy because he loves me but that's not what is mentioned here in uh hebrews he doesn't talk about taxes but he does talk about holiness so let's look at the next slide where we see five commands in hebrews 10 that are a consequence of that final forgiveness of my positional holiness my justification Notice in verse 19, he said, Therefore, but now jump to verse 22. Therefore, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, <clears throat> excuse me, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, why should I draw near to God? Well, really, because I need God, I need His strength. I need him to help me in my temptations. I need him to guide me as I make the decisions that uh, I encounter every day in life. So do you. And we can do that, like we saw in 4.16. Come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Because our time of need is pretty regular. At least mine is. I have lots of needs. And we are to, because of that positional holiness, because... We have been forgiven. We are to draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled is a reference, of course, to the saving grace of God on the cross. Uh, bodies washed with pure water is probably not referring to baptism, but rather the ceremonial washing that the priests did every time they went into the, uh, the, the temple or the, near the tabernacle. There was a ritual that they performed, and that's probably what that's referring to. That's just the first command, though. We have to draw hope, spur, meet, and encourage. There's single words to help me remember it a little bit better. But verse 23 talks about the command to hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Why should I hold on to that hope? Because Jesus Christ is faithful, not because I'm strong. That's where the draw near to God gets me. Gets me strong enough to hold and hold on to that hope. And if you look at Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for. That hope is faith. Hold on to that hope. If you have trouble holding on to that hope, draw near to God and ask him for the grace to help you hold on to that hope. That's faith. Being faithful. Another thing we're supposed to do as a result of our forgiveness is in verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hmm. I don't think that means kicking your neighbor in the ribs like you do with a horse and spurs. I think that's more referring to a Galatians six one statement that says, if you see a brother taken in a fault, you are spiritual. Go to him in a spirit of meekness, considering yourselves lest you also be tempted. That's helping one another. That's being together as a family. I, I don't want to condemn my boy for having the thought of having sex outside of marriage. I want to come beside him and say, hey, this is why you shouldn't, because God tells us we should live holy lives, and we need to honor him. I'm very, very glad that my son felt comfortable enough with me to ask me that question. I don't think I would have ever asked my dad that, but he did, and I was very glad, and I pray for him, and I'm certainly thankful that he was open to the answer. He did listen. I trust that he will respond to the hebrews 10 that i suggested he read but we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good works don't kick somebody in the ribs help them if you see they need uh, finances help them if you see they need a job give them a job or whatever it takes but spur them on to love and good deeds and then we have two more meet and encourage and i think they're kind of coupled together let us not verse 25 let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing But let us encourage one another. Those let us's are the commands, by the way. That's what is telling us that this isn't just a suggestion or it's just a historical statement. It's a command. Do this. Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Meeting together is what we're doing right now and afterwards at the fellowship dinner. Because if I don't know you, I'd be very uncomfortable if you came and encouraged me or spurred me on to love and good works because who are you? (laughs) You know, why should I do what you ask? And the same goes the other way. If you don't know somebody, if you're not meeting together and have some familiar basis, some relationship, there's very, it makes encouraging one another or suggesting a lifestyle change very difficult. And you remember that scripture is designed by God to be used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. None of those things are very functional or very effective if you don't have a relationship with somebody. So we got to meet together. I think Pastor Trey's goals for uh, you know, the fellowship and the meeting, I think that's outstanding. I think he's based that solidly on this and other scriptures that talk about having that relationship that only comes from time spent together, small groups, Bible studies. I'm privy to my wife's Bible study that she's meeting with the ladies. It's excellent. We watched Tony Evans talking about the helmet of salvation the other day together. outstanding stuff that fellowship is breeding this kind of a relationship where these ladies can encourage one another and uh, help them live the Christian life that becomes super uh, important you can't emphasize that too much when you get to the next slide because there is a fearsome forecast 10, 26 to 31 describes some things that are very, very controversial. Very controversial. And so I'm going to say on the outset I'm rather familiar with the Arminian and Calvinistic debates. The, the Arminians say that this can be a believer. The Calvinists say it can't be. I don't really want to discuss that. I get, No, I can't solve that problem. What I want to do this morning is I just want to let the text speak for itself. So let's just look at the text and I really don't want to find out that uh, the text is talking to me. And I don't want to argue the theology. I want to respond to what the Bible's saying. So let's just look at that and leave the theology out of it. Because the first few verses describe a horrific consequence to sin. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The points that we can take out of this, this is willful sin. Apparently, it's after salvation by the text statement. There's no sacrifice left, and there's just fearful, fiery judgment. You know, I don't really care much about Calvin or Arminius. I just don't want this to apply to me. So the way I can avoid this is to ignore the theology and obey God. (laughs) That's my solution to that problem. And again, that's been raging for a long time. That discussion has been raging for a long time. But here it tells me, don't keep sinning after I've received the truth. That seems to me after salvation. The next slide gives the next sequence in this passage. And it's a historic precedent. See, we've got things going for us as recorded in the Old Testament to prompt us to obey God. It's designed there. In fact, we're going to see in just a little bit, we're going to read First Corinthians 10. It is there specifically so that we will obey God. The historic precedent is an Old Testament example. And the author of Hebrews has actually used that already in chapters 3, uh, verses 7 through 11 and 16 through 19. So I'd like to read that. Chapter 3 in Hebrews, uh, starting with verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, that's God's voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Jump down to verse 16. Who are they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Disobedience is an expression of unbelief. They disobeyed because they didn't believe God. They thought those giants were way too big for them to fight and win. They did what they felt like doing. They paid the ultimate price. They died in the desert. Excuse me. That Old Testament example is graphic... It's horrendous, but you know what? It says in chapter 10, verses, uh, uh, where is it? Verse 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? It was a bad thing to disobey God in the Old Testament. That was an expression of unbelief. It's worse to walk away from God, to trample the Son of God underfoot. Sinning against Jesus is much worse. The next slide shows us that our loving God, no question about that, our loving God is a hard judge. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, the author of Hebrews is speaking to people who were very familiar with the Old Testament. They were Jews who apparently were struggling with their faith. And they knew very well the story of the Exodus, the story of the exile, the stories of all those people who were toasted because they disobeyed God. We know about the judgment of God, he's telling us. Now think with me, we don't have to turn there, but the, 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 uh, the uh, scriptures are up there on the, on the screen. Korah, Dathan, and abiram they were priestly people who simply challenged Moses' leadership in the desert. Moses said, okay, if you die a regular death, I'm wrong, you're right, take over. The ground opened up, swallowed them. And their families, and all their possessions, all those innocent little babies and wives that had nothing to do with that possibly. They all suffered the penalty of God. Moses and Aaron, at the end of Deuteronomy 32, God tells Moses to walk up on the top of Mount Nebo and look at the promised land, because he's going to die on Mount Nebo. Why? Because he struck the rock. Rather than speaking to the rock, he never got to go into the promised land. And he wrestled with this rebellious nation for 40 years. Achan in Joshua 7, he was told not to touch anything of the the spoils in Jericho. When they conquered Jericho, he saw a silver bar and a robe and probably some other little goodies that he stuck under his uh, blanket in his tent. God judged the nation, cost them 31 soldiers who died because of that, and then Joshua found it out, and they stoned him, his sons, and all of his possessions. Interesting thing, it doesn't say anything about his wife. I don't know what happened to her, but it does specify that him and his sons were stoned for that. We know about the judgment of God. In fact, the whole Old Testament record records the fact that God blessed his people when they obeyed him and he judged them severely when they disobeyed and that's now is when I want to read first Corinthians 10 because that's exactly what that says first 11 verses for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact brothers that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. We know the judgment of God. And here, the author of Hebrews inspired by God himself is telling us don't sin willfully. Don't rebel against God because it's a very, very bad choice. But then, this is what I want my son to pick up on. Remember verse 32 and following. A faithful reminder on the next slide. Remember past performance. Uh, Remember the earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those who were in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. See, there was a time when this people that was being addressed live faithfully. My son lived faithfully. I have had periods of living faithfully, even when the government's going to take my money and they call taxes. And so when we get to those times of struggle and temptation, reflect on the times when God was there for us, when God provided for us, when God did the impossible and saved us from some fate that we didn't want to experience. Remember the good times past performance was suffering personally supporting people successful faith was what i called this in this passage and then the next slide remember the promised prize rich rewards blessings for obedience so do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of god you will receive what he has promised god's promised us eternity with him personally, enjoying untold blessings that eye has not seen or mind can see. Remember that promise. Remember God's faithfulness, and then this temptation that we're experiencing immediately will fade, be less tempting. And once you reject it, it becomes easier to reject it. Remember the reward, blessings for obedience. Remember the prosper proper perspective. 37 to 39, for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. It seems like an impossible thing. It's been, four, what, uh, 2,000 years, 2016 years since Jesus Christ and these letters were written. Well, it was 1,400 years that they lived under that Old Testament law where they had to do all of those sacrifices. Now we have the indwelling presence of God to help us. Remember the promised reward, the blessing for obedience. Remember Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Live faithfully. My righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. God doesn't like quitters. I don't want to be a quitter before God Almighty. Don't give up. Complete salvation is coming, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who believe and are saved take the hint take the command stick together support one another encourage one another even more so as you see the day approaching finally we come to the takeouts and then we can go and eat the old covenant is replaced by the new covenant believers can now go directly to God we need each other we need each other to encourage us, to spur us on to loving good works, and to help us with the choices that are tempting. And D is one that I think is a main part of this positive encouragement. It's extremely stupid to sin after salvation. I mean, we have a history of God judging people. Why push that? Don't worry about the theology. Just obey God. God's mercy and grace are demonstrated by his patience. I know how many times I have sinned against God, sometimes willfully, sometimes high-handedly sinning. And God hasn't toasted me. Jesus Christ forgave me. God's mercy and grace are demonstrated by his patience. And the future of the faithful is fantastic. It's unimaginable. So let's live for that rather than for the temptation in the now. And the last slide just repeats the message summary. God the Father provided for believers immediate access to him through Jesus Christ. Strongly warns against ongoing sin and encourages faithful living. That's what I hope God will do for you. Encourage faithful living. That's what I wanted to do for my son. Encourage his faithful living not to give in to the temptations of the world. He's told me that he had three girls that actually thought he was weird that offered to have sex with him and he turned them down. That to me is outstanding. I hope I can live that faithfully. Let's pray with please. Thank you, Father, for your great mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with salvation that is unimaginable and allow us each one to come to you boldly to help us avoid temptation and to live lives that are glorifying and holy. Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. And we now we ask you to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat>